0: Our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the very word of God that is sufficient, authoritative, and inerrant. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands... So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would attend our way this morning, that you would show us Our duty that you would show us the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of being at home and having a conversation? This is especially perhaps to the parents. One of your children comes in in the middle of that conversation and makes all sorts of assumptions about what that conversation is about. They get only part of the picture. They've lost the context. That happens in our house a lot, especially with younger children. Perhaps you've even experienced it at work. You know, you come into a conversation, it could be something as stark as you walk in and you hear your boss say, I'm going to fire everyone. And you've missed the words, there is no way that I'm going to. Well, you see, the Word of God can be like that as well. We can take it out of context, and it's difficult, and we we only get a part of the picture. Even if we get a true part of the picture, we only get part of it. That's especially difficult when you tread on dangerous cultural ground, like we're going to do this morning. You see, Peter is continuing to give us good pastoral advice, and he is going to now begin to take aim at the family. And in good, gentlemanly fashion, he says, ladies first. Ladies, you can all make sure your husbands are here next week, when Peter then turns and gives an exhortation to husbands. But this is set in a context that we have been looking at for several weeks. It follows that passage from Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it's a part of this entire context of having our good works before a watching pagan world, with the result being that they would see the gospel and would glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the context here. So please keep it in mind. What Peter is not giving, and I do not want you to hear from me, is a manual for marriage. This is not five steps to fix your wife. And then wives will look at their watches and wait next week for five steps to fix your husband. This is about how the gospel goes forward in our marriages and in our families. And so, what Peter then gives us are three things I'd like us to look at this morning. First is an exhortation, he gives an exhortation to women. If you're wondering, kids, what an exhortation is, it's a command, it's a directive, it's a pointed statement. And I call it an exhortation because point number two is an explanation. Every once in a while, preachers need to start everything with the same letter. Exhortation, and then Peter explains that command. He gives an explanation of what it's about. And then, as I have said to you so many times that Peter is a wonderful pastor, what he then does is he gives an example of what that looks like. That's what you hope to see oftentimes in Bible lessons, Sunday schools, and sermons. And Peter does not fail to deliver. Well, he begins then first with an exhortation right here in verse 1. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, this is a very pointed statement. The first question that might come to our minds is, if we're honest with ourselves, ladies, ladies, is, Peter, what do you mean here? Are you a little bit behind the times? Don't you know that nobody needs to submit to anyone anymore? This is old-fashioned. No. When you ask the question, Peter, do you mean? Do you really mean I have to submit? Peter answers strongly, yes. Now, again, because we've had context, this shouldn't be a hard concept for us, right? We've been talking over and over again about submission. We talked about it in the context of submitting to government, right? We talked about it in the context of servants submitting to masters. The word here that Peter uses for submit is the exact same word that he has been using. It's that context that we talked about of being under authority. It's a personal kind of submission. But I don't want you to forget what we said about government and work, and that submission is not defined as doing everything someone tells you to do, right? It doesn't go that far, and yet in some sense it goes much further than that. It goes to an attitude of the heart. It goes to being under another's authority. This is a follow-on to what Peter has been saying to us over and over again. Now, we need to deal with this up front and right away. Because the church has been trying as hard as it can for the last at least 50 years, perhaps more than 100 years, to blunt the force of this command. And there are those who will say, well, that's not really what Peter means here. You know, this talk of submission is really, it's about mutual submission. It's about giving way to each other. There there really isn't any authority structure here in the family. You know, in a marriage, it's an equal team. Sometimes the husband has to listen to the wife. Sometimes the wife has to listen to the husband. And if we really progressive, we say sometimes the parents have to listen to the kids. But you see, that's not what Peter says. What Peter says is, ladies, you need to submit to your own husbands. This concept of mutual submission often comes out in Ephesians 2. 5 or I should say a misinterpretation of Ephesians 5. If you can stick your finger in 1 Peter 3, I'd invite you to flip over to Ephesians 5. This is the other passage that deals with marriage and the family. And Paul says something very similar. He says, "Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife." And Bible teachers will come up and say, "But aha! Paul Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So really, this isn't about the marriage. This is just about treating each other kindly and nicely. No. For let's read on. Paul does indeed say verse 21 of chapter 5, but after verse 22 comes verse 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself the Savior. So, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You see, we don't say, well, you know, sometimes the church needs to submit to Jesus. But there are times when Jesus needs to listen to the church and submit to the church. You know, mutual submission and all that. No. Oh. We shake our heads and we say, that's ridiculous. And yet we're willing at times to listen to the voice of culture, which tells us that there's no submission in marriage. Yes, ladies, you do have to submit. But let's delve into it a bit further, because it doesn't mean what oftentimes the culture thinks submission means. Well, how do I submit might be the next question. Am I supposed to do what some of these Neanderthals think, that I'm never allowed to speak, that i can't pick my own clothing out, that i can't do anything i want to do, how do i submit? and again, peter is instructive. notice the first word of chapter 3. likewise. likewise to what? well, likewise to the way servants submit to masters and we submit to the government. it's not just the fact of submission that peter is building on here, it is the type of submission and The first thing that we need to know about how we submit is that willingness is the key. Do you remember what we said about submitting to your government? Do you remember what we said about submitting at work? You may remember my little illustration about the child standing up, then sitting down. I'm standing up on the inside. Ladies, you can't stand up on the inside in your marriage. It's the same context. And the motive for submission is the same as well. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. We are to do this, we are to be subject for the Lord's sake. You see, ladies, you are to submit for the Lord's sake. You are not to submit so your husband looks good to his golfing buddies. You are not to submit so that everyone thinks you are the perfect wife. No. You are to submit for a much higher purpose and calling for the Lord's sake. So that the Lord would be glorified. And this extent is the same extent that we've looked at it in the past. You remember we tried to raise excuses with Peter and say, Well, Peter, that's all well and good, but you don't know my government. You don't know my boss. He's harsh. He's difficult. Peter says the same thing here. You must be subject so that even if some do not obey the word. You see, even those who are disobedient, even those who are unbelievers, we are to be willing in submitting. And the other way we think about submission is that it involves obedience. Now, not exclusively But it is a part of submission, because the likewise in verse 1 also takes us back to the servant's passage. And then what we are to do is to obey. Peter makes that clear with his example of, of Sarah. That part of what makes Sarah such a wonderful example in this is that she obeyed. She submitted by acting. And this should not surprise us. This is the Christian life. What do we call someone that talks the talk and doesn't walk the walk? We call them a hypocrite. Whether they teach one thing and do another, or they say one thing and act another way. So why would it be different in the case of marriage? It's true in evangelism. It's true in prayer life. It's true in other every other area of our lives. We must walk the walk. It does involve obedience. We are to obey and submit as the church does to Christ. We are to do this for the Lord's sake, not for our husband's sake. Now, we really need to bust through modern cultural constructs here. What do I mean by this? You all are aware, I don't have to give a specific example, you could think of one you've been familiar with in your head, of how the modern sitcom portrays the family, right? The modern sitcom has bright, witty kids that can zing off one-liners, right? And the beautiful, all-together wife who knows everything that's going on. And then, of course, there's the fat, dumb husband that sits on the couch. And he walks around all the time going, I'm king of the castle. And the wife's job is to keep him in the dark So he doesn't really realize she runs the show with some help from the kids. Right? This is not an American phenomenon. I have a friend who was a missionary to Spain. And he said that, you know, the biblical order of things is husband, wife, children. And he said, here in Spain, I see it's children, wife, husband. And his Spanish friend corrected him and said, no, 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 no. Children, wife, husband. That's our modern society. You see, that is not what Christian homes are to be, where we we manipulate one another to get what we want, where husbands are satisfied thinking that they are king of the castle, when really they're walking in the dark. Sometimes submission, ladies, means telling your husbands to take the lead. Sometimes submission means standing by your husband through difficult times and encouraging him. It doesn't mean sitting back passively. It means being an active part of a family. And there's a purpose for this. Notice what Peter says here. He gives a play on words here. He says, so that if they don't obey the word without a word... They may be one to the word. They're one by the conduct of their wives without a word. They are one to the word. Well, you may say then, what does this mean? Where am I supposed to submit? Peter makes this clear. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. This again breaks through another cultural construct. You see, what Peter is saying here is not that men are better than women. And therefore, women submit. Because he doesn't say every woman has to submit to every man. He doesn't say that. So, gentlemen, don't try and get my wife to submit to you. It's not appropriate. It's not biblical. And your wives shouldn't submit to me instead of you. You see... There's a sphere that this happens in. There's a reason why it's happening here. And it's because Peter wants to, at the same time that he talks about structure and authority in the family, he wants to affirm dignity and honor. You remember I talked about the passage where wives are to submit to husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul takes a similar tactic. And he lays out this order of submission. And one of the orders of submission is that Christ is subject to God. Now, are we willing to say that Jesus Christ is of lesser worth, dignity, and honor than God the Father? I hope not. If you're willing to say that, we'll have a conversation after Sunday school. So how can we then say that women are worth less honor, dignity? It's not. It is not a matter of nature. It is a matter of God-given structure and authority. And the attitude of the husband, here's a preview of next week, gentlemen. The attitude of the husband in this is not to say, so glad that's in the Bible. Honey, do that for me sweetheart, would you take care of that for me? Right? No. The attitude of the husband is to be the same attitude that the Apostle Paul had in the church. You know the Apostle Paul, seen the risen Christ, chief church planter, in charge of all kinds of things. And a slave runs off and comes back And his friend Philemon, who's clearly under his authority, and he had every right to say, Philemon, you take him back and you treat him honorably because he's a part of the church and I'm in charge of the church. But he doesn't do that. If you look at Philemon, verse 8 and 9, he says, for love's sake, please do this for me. He appeals to the bond of affection that is between himself and Philemon. That's the way that husbands are supposed to act in that sphere. To make it a joy for their wives to submit. To show them how cherished and honored they are. Now, why would we do this? Well, Peter gives us an explanation of why this is the case. And the explanation begins with submission's true purpose. It's at the end of verse 1. After this harsh command, this sharp pointed command, be subject, he says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You see, the reason for this command is so that the gospel can be seen. It is not primarily so that The order of that bedrock of society, marriage and the family, can be maintained. No. It's so that the gospel goes forward in the family just as it does in the workplace, just as it does in the public sphere. You see, Peter's just stringing along the same purpose. His goal is the same, that the gospel would go forward, that others would see Jesus, that others would see what submission and obedience looks like and that they would submit to the Lord God. You see, that's the call there that's behind all of this. And Peter anticipates objections. He says, even if they don't obey. So you're not allowed to say, ladies, well, listen... If my husband was just a little bit of a nicer guy, if he was just slightly more thoughtful. No, Peter says, if he's not even a believer, you need to show this principle. Why? It's because this principle shows the beauty of God's created order. And it's so beautiful that it even affects pagans. Those who are not believers look at this and they say, wow, there's something going on here. They're won over without the word. And this is a part and parcel of our life. Peter uses one of his favorite words again that hopefully you're becoming familiar with at the end of verse 2 when he talks about the wives' conduct. It's that word that means way of life. It describes everything about you. When you're out at the store, when you're home in the evening, when you're talking in the afternoon, it's part and parcel of your life. And there's a reason why Peter does this. It's because this is not about image or substance. You see, this is not so that we can present ourselves as the perfect family to outsiders, Look at those Christians. They've got it all together. Their kids are so clean. Their hair is all combed. Everyone speaks at the perfect time. No one's out of place. No one leaves a pee on their plate. Everyone drinks all their milk. No. That's not what the Christian life is like. It's a part of our way of life. You cannot put together a list in order to accomplish this. So if you're already formulating in your heads, ladies or husbands, a list to be followed, you must push that out. Because, you see, it is about the very being of a Christian wife. There's a story that's told of a couple. The wife was a Christian by profession, and a steady attender and supporter of her church, The husband, on the other hand, was a bit cantankerous. He was not a believer, and every time that the minister or any of the deacons or the elders came to speak to him about the Lord Jesus Christ, he would push them off and had no patience. And one opportunity the pastor had to be with them together, he said, You know, I don't understand. Why are you so hostile to the gospel? Your wife here should show you the great blessings that the Lord has in the gospel. And the husband said, Why am I so hostile? I'll tell you why. I can never get a hot meal at night. My wife's always at church. The house is a mess. She's always got some prayer meeting to go to. I can't sit down and talk to her for five minutes. She's always visiting and ministering to someone else. She's always in your church. She never pays any attention to me. Do you see how even things that are godly and good If used in a list fashion, church door is open, I've got to be there. I've got to jump on this, I've got to jump on that, I've got to do this. While forgetting our main purpose and roles can be used to the harm of the gospel. You see, there's real danger in putting together a list. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be at prayer meeting, you shouldn't be at church, you shouldn't read your Bible, you shouldn't minister. What I am saying is don't make a list out of these things. Because when you do, harm follows. You see, Peter says that he wants the husbands to see all of this conduct of the wife. The whole life. The emphasis here is on seeing, not on hearing. Sometimes, ladies, the way in which you labor for the gospel is simply by being the woman that God has called you to be. Sometimes you don't need to have memorized the whole book of Romans. Sometimes you don't need to have the ability to have a stadium full of people listen to your gospel presentation. Sometimes you don't need to have the perfect thing to say at every time. You see, God uses your very conduct and actions to his benefit to his glory, as his instrument. And this is true of children as well. You see, when Satan whispers in your ear, you are not important. You don't get to do this, and you don't get to do that. God says, be who I have called you to be, and others will see. And I will use that by my Holy Spirit to the blessing of the gospel. There is no time, ladies, in which you should doubt your true worth as a Christian woman. If you are acting in this fashion, supporting your husband, caring for your family, acting pure and honorable, that will be used for the gospel. That is God's promise here to you in this passage. And this is the true beauty of submission. This is submission's true beauty because it reflects the created order. It is not a result of the fall that women are to submit to their husbands. No, it is a backdrop for the gospel. It is like creation. It's like looking and seeing the beauty of the stars, the sun, and the moon. And it provides opportunities for the gospel to be heard. Because you see, Peter is very clear here. He does not say that you must submit and act sinfully. Because your husband says so. Because Peter says the conduct of these wives is respectful and pure. It is noble. It is holy. What is known about this conduct is that the focus is not on self. That's why Peter gives us this example. He says, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. You see, don't focus on externals. Some look at this verse and take it out of context and say, okay, I will never braid my hair again. And I will take off every piece of gold I have and put it down. If you look at it this way, you're in trouble. Because Peter says the wearing of clothes. (laughs) Some translations hide this by saying the wearing of fine clothing. But the Greek doesn't say that. So unless you all want a bunch of naked ladies to come in here next Sunday, you can't take Peter in that fashion. You have to take it in the context in which he puts it. That is, don't put the emphasis on the externals. It doesn't just have to be beauty. It could be being unkempt. Peter would say just as much, ladies, don't go three weeks without combing your hair because people will focus on the externals. This is a unique and interesting point here that can be applied not just to ladies, but I think it's especially pointed for teens. Our culture tells teenagers that you must wear certain shoes and you must wear a certain shirt and you must do certain things or you have no worth as a person. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is Satan saying, look at my external features and don't look at my heart. God wants others to see your heart Not your Nikes, not your latest handbag, not your latest power tie, gentlemen. God wants others to see your heart because there is where there is true value. There is focus on the eternal. It is incorruptible beauty, Peter says. It's beauty that lasts forever. How appropriate that is for us today. When 20-year-olds are having plastic surgery. And when women in their 30s and 40s are on their 10th procedures, trying perpetually to stay a certain way, to keep the external the same. When the true beauty of a woman is found in a godly spirit, a meek, a gentle, a beautiful spirit. And you see, this is ...is the true value of submission. It is submission's true value. Because you see, you are only able to submit, ladies... ...if you have a continual trust in the Lord. If you're not trusting the Lord... ...you're going to hedge your bets in your marriage. Aren't you? If you are going to put yourself under another's authority... You must trust that God will take care of you. He's commanded this. It's the old saying of Augustine. Lord, command what you will and provide what you command. You see, you must trust in God. That is what God delights in. That is what is of great worth. It is very precious in his sight. The word here is interesting. We thinking as we think about the home and the family. Peter actually uses a banking term here. It's very valuable. Your stock is on the rise, so to speak. That is what has value to God. But that shouldn't surprise us because that is what God seeks to see in all of us. Not only ladies, but men and children as well. He desires to see a quiet and gentle spirit that is a result of trusting in him. Well, Peter then concludes here in true pastoral fashion by doing what a good friend of mine, Derek Thomas, says. He says that illustrations are like windows that let light into the room. And Peter's going to open up a window for us here by giving us an example of what This submission looks like, and he does it beginning in verse 5, he says, For this is how. So if, ladies, you're scratching your head and wondering, what does this mean? This is what it means. It means that you are to be like the women of hope, women of obedience, and women of courage. Look at verse 5. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their husbands. You see, this is about having gospel hope in your life, ladies. It's a cycle. You see, we have confidence in God. And that produces in us a gentle and trusting spirit. Which empowers us to submit without fear. Which leads us to to remember that we have to trust in God which calms our spirit, which allows us to submit without fear. You see, you cannot have true submission without hope. You can have quietly rebellious obedience. But you cannot have true heartfelt submission without hope. And that's why Peter says that they hoped in God and they adorned themselves by submitting to their husbands. You see, it was evidence of their hope that they submitted. And one of the ways that they encouraged their own trust in God was by practicing submission. This is about developing Christian character. These women had hope. You see, when we are forced to trust in God alone, we are also forced to give up our own power and agendas. And that's true across the board. When we trust the Lord to carry us forward, whether it be in a marriage or in a building campaign or in a ministry, when we trust in the Lord, we have to give up. Our own manipulations and agendas and ideas. Women of hope. But they're not just women of hope. They're also women of obedience. Peter gives us an example again. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Think about Sarah. I think sometimes Sarah gets pushed into the background. You know, Sarah sometimes occupies in our consciousness of of Bible curriculum. She's married to Abraham, and he gets called to Canaan. And then she, like, pops up again when Isaac appears. And we miss what's going on in Sarah's life during what God has called Abraham to. You see, Sarah followed and obeyed Abraham through great discomfort. She made the trek to Canaan as well. That wasn't easy. Ladies, you ever try to take care of small children on vacation? And let me guess. If I asked for a show of hands, I'm going to see more than half of the families. When I say, when you go on vacation, who makes the list? Who packs all the things? Who does the planning for the day-to-day life? Almost all the time. It's the wife. That's not a bad thing. But you know what? difficulty is involved there. Now imagine you do it permanently. You're permanently on vacation away from your family. Sarah followed Abraham. And we also sometimes lose the concept that Sarah is a joint heir with Abraham. She inherits the promised land as well because of her obedience. But Sarah is also a woman of courage. You see, the Christian woman, the Christian wife who submits, is not some meek wallflower who gets tossed around by a strong husband. No, Sarah is a woman of courage. Imagine this scene. Abraham comes in and he says, Well, Sarah, just had a conversation with God. She says, God? Conversation? Yes, he's told me that what we're going to do is to travel thousands of miles away and you'll probably never see your family again. Uh, And you can say goodbye to your friends and we're going to go off into a land that he's promised us. And he's going to give us uh, an heir so that we could be a blessing to the nations. It takes a lot of courage to say, I'll go with you, doesn't it? It has to. Sarah's one of the bravest women in history of the world. Goes out into nowhere. She doesn't know what's out there. She's giving up her family, giving up her community. She'll never see them again. And she goes because God has called her to that in calling her to Abraham. And think about what a testimony she left for us. A testimony of courage and obedience and hope. You see, this kind of submission is not about cowering, but it is about delight. And that's why the only true successful Christian marriage can be a Christian marriage. Because, ladies, you cannot do this on your own. You cannot go home and write up a list and master it. You must go home and pray to the Lord for his spirit, to guide your heart, to encourage you, to push you on. This is what Peter calls us to. And we're going to see this again next week, that the principle he's calling us to is there is no break from the gospel. We don't get to have a room where the gospel doesn't touch. We don't get to have a place where the gospel's demands of God being glorified and praised aren't found. The gospel affects all of our life. The other thing we need to remember is there are no small people in the kingdom of God. Ladies, even if you never witness and see the conversion of 4,000 people en masse, you are a powerful agent, a powerful agent in the kingdom of God. The way in which you carry yourself will have effects in eternity. And we think about it. All of the time, especially with respect to children, right? John Newton had a mother. Charles Spurgeon had a mother. Augustine had a mother. But it's true within your marriage as well. Spurgeon had a wife to push him on, to pray for him, to encourage him. This is what we are called to. To see the gospel do magnificent things with ordinary people like you and me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our God. And we ask, O Lord, that you would show us your work in our lives, that we might be encouraged. We ask that you would bless our families this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.